Welcome to the Consortium Podcast, an academic audio blog of Kepler Education. Kepler is a consortium of independent classical Christian teachers unified by a shared vision for student flourishing. This episode comes from a talk given at the Consortium of Classical Educators in the summer of 2023. For those of you that I haven't had the pleasure of meeting yet, my name is Heather Lee Sylvia. Um, I know I see a lot of familiar faces and I'm very, very pleased to, to see you. Um, I am, my session is called Seven Steps Towards a Classical Life. I'm going to talk about why um, it's called that in just a moment. Um, I want to reassure you, I, I see all my little note takers, you are my people. <laughs> Just want to reassure you, um, between Chris and I, we will make sure you have a list of all the resources that I quote. I will throw a lot of books at you, not physically, um, but I will throw a lot of book names at you, and um, I promise that at the end, I will make sure that you know them all. Um, and I, I will list as many of them as I can while, while, I, um, while I am going, okay? Uh, because books are my best resource. Um, I love podcasts, I love, um, I love webinars, but books, when you can go back and actually read them and look at them and share them, and that, that's, where, that's where I am. So, okay. I'm going to let my people grab chairs. No, don't apologize. I love... I'm cool with that. This, this, uh, I, I love, well... This, I, this is my favorite thing to do. So, um, and good. Okay, so my name is Heather Lee Sylvia. I am currently, in addition to being the, one of the co-founders of the Classical Learning Consortium for New England, I am also a mentor for homeschooling parents. And homeschooling is where I'm at. Um, and through classical, classical homeschooling, I fell in love with the classical model. And 10 years ago, when I became a classical homeschooler, after being a classroom teacher for 15 years, I realized that what I thought was a curriculum choice was actually a lifestyle choice. Oh, see, you're my people. The face, you all, like almost every single one of you was like, mm, yeah. Okay, good, you're in the right place. So um, I, I really thought that I was just choosing books that were gonna make my homeschooling journey more cohesive, that were gonna equip me, make me a better homeschooling parent. And I didn't realize it was gonna change my life. It changes the way that my husband and I interact. It changes the formation of our family. It has changed the way I interact with scripture. It changes the way I mentor. It has changed everything about my life. And I, I just want to encourage you, if that encourages you, I want to remind you that this is not a checklist, nor is it a flow chart. If we have my engineering friends in here, this is not like we do step one, which leads to two, which leads to all the way down to seven. Every single one of us is because we're designed differently and we have different strengths and weaknesses and areas where we need to grow and passions. We're all in very different seasons in life. Because of that, this is more of a different type of thing. Um, when I, in the 1970s, Edward Packard was telling bedtime stories to his daughters when he ran out of plot. He states, quote, I had a character named Pete, and I usually had him encountering all these different adventures on an isolated island. 
But that night I was running out of things for Pete to do. So I just asked what my daughters would do, end quote. His daughters came up with different paths for the story to take, and Packard thought up, of an, up an ending for each of those paths. That was the beginning of the Choose Your Own Adventure series. <laughs> See, you're my people. You, you nod at the right places, you cheer for the right books. I, good job, bonus points for all of you. That, that Choose Your Own Adventure series was quintessential for a 1980s childhood, right? And um, I love that the classical life is not a flow chart, it's not a checklist, it is a choose your own adventure. And I love the freedom that is in that because you may be somebody that needs to camp out on step one for years. And you may be somebody that hops around and, and it, is, it is good, it is just good. So um, the first thing that I, I just want to lay out for you is that the classical life is layered and complex and it is beautiful. It is a journey that takes a lifetime and it can be reached through deliberate steps in the pursuit of that which is true, good, and beautiful. But it's deliberate, right? You may accidentally become classical. You may even accidentally become a little more classical, but we are going to deliberately step into a classical lifestyle with intention, with deliberate action, and with traveling companions. When we are making changes in our life, the most important thing that we can do is have our goal in mind, the end in mind. So my first question for you, and, and I want you all, even if you're not my note takers that are writing things down, I want you to think through it. What, when I say a classical life, when you chose to come and be a part of this session today, what does that look like to you? What does it look like to have a classical lifestyle? What does it look like for you to be more classical? Um, when we know our end goal, when we know what we want that to look like for us as individuals or for our family, it helps us to make better choices, right? Um, the biggest reason why New Year's resolutions fail is because people try to jump, jump from zero to 60. And instead, what we need is incremental steps in the right direction. So these are big steps that you can take in small ways. Um, and we want to be simple. We want to be effective. We want to be intentional about this. So. Um, some of you are going to look at this and you're going to say, I want it all. I don't want to do one at a time. I want all of these things and I want them right now. But Christopher Perrin from Classical Academic Press introduced me to the Latin concept of um, festina lente, to make haste slowly. <laughs> and it, it sounds like an oxymoron, but when you're taking these small deliberate steps, you realize how far you've come, how quickly. Um, so. I want you to remember, this is not a checklist. Any of my type, type A friends, we are not just you know, checking this off. It is not a cause and effect flow chart. This is an all-you-can-eat buffet, okay? And we're gonna eat a little bit at a time, and we're going to you know, have an amuse-bouche, and then an entree, and then a dessert. 
with some coffee after because you're with me. So our first one, our first step, you've already done, so you can just check it off your list, my little type A friends. And this is to surround, I am the most type B person you've ever met, so I, I'm lovingly teasing my challenge, my challenge, my type A friends. <laughs> Oops, <laughs> okay. Um, so you wanna surround yourself with classical friends. And there are lots of, way to do, lots of ways to do this. But as Sarah mentioned earlier, even if you are in a classical school, even if you're in a classical um, homeschool co-op or a classical group, even if you yourself had a classical education, it doesn't mean you always have kindred spirits. Um, people enter classical education for a variety of reasons. So what we're looking for is those kindred spirits, those traveling companions, those people that when you read a book and you are just fascinated by the language of a paragraph, you can totally call them and nerd out about it, <laughs> and they're not gonna think twice about it. They're just gonna be like, yep, I read that too. And I also highlighted that in blue. Um, so this could be happening, you know, whether you call it your tribe or your squad or your fellowship or your scholae group, your cohort, your consortium, you wanna find those people. And if you haven't found those people, keep coming to things like this. We're gonna be doing small group events. You will find your people because we are all hungry for the fellowship that comes with true, beautiful, good conversation about wonderful things. Um, so, ideally, you have a few people in your physical place that you can sit and you can talk. The reality is that for some of us, we need to use the virtual world, right? So this is um, finding authors and podcasts and online teachers. Um, Christopher Perrin again says, we go nowhere alone. So you wanna find your people. Kin he says, kindred spirits change and enthuse our own souls and spur us on to greater learning and to love. So the first thing is to be on the lookout for those people. And they may not be who you expect. Keep your hearts and your eyes open because the people who become your closest traveling companions may not be the people you expect them to be. Make friends with the quirky kids. They have the best books. Okay. The second is, again, you're already doing this. Look at you making progress. And this is to become the student. So many of us are in the stage of life where we are the teacher. So whether we are in a classical school or whether we are homeschooling, whether you work for Kepler, wh whatever it is that you do, we are the ones that are pouring out. But what do you pour out if you're not being poured into, right? We talk about this often in the Christian, in the Christian life, that if you wanna minister to people, you first have to fill your soul with the spiritual disciplines of prayer and fellowship and scripture and saturating yourself in those things. And so we need to do the same if we're gonna be good teachers. We need to become the student. Charlotte Mason referred to this as the mother culture. She expected the parents to be a couple steps ahead of their kids. Now, if you're not in a position where you're homeschooling or where you're teaching in a school, you still have people of influence because we are Titus II people. Right? 
Paul tells Titus, have the older men teach the younger men. Have the older women teach the younger women. We are all a mentor to someone. We are all a teacher to someone. And in order for that to be effective, we first need to be a student. Now, the great thing is you don't have to take a master's de degree program. You don't have to get into debt. You don't have to spend thousands of dollars. And it doesn't even have to be academic. When you become the student, when you put yourself in the place of becoming a student, it could be knitting, it could be crocheting, it could be making bread, it could be learning a new skill, it could be anything. And we now live in a world where you have access to anything. YouTube can be your friend when you're learning something new. So you want to put yourself in a position where you are learning. If you are interested in some academic things, um, I know in, in Scott's sessions earlier, what someone asked, um, is there adult education involved in Kepler? And, and there, are, there are some things that are, are going on, but Classical Academic Press is a wonderful resource where you can, for $20 a month, just saturate yourself in classical education resources. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. Um, the Searcy Institute has webinars all the time, usually for $10 a piece, and they send you the recordings so you can re-watch them and re-listen to them over and over again. There may be a podcast, um, and we as the consortium are trying to bring education opportunities to you. So several of you mentioned, um, I know one of you was trying to vacillate between two, was vacillating between two sessions and, and wondered which one. And I was like, ask the local guy to come to your house. Because that's what we're here for. We want to come to you and we want to um, bring, bring you along in your education. We want to be traveling companions for you. Um, I, my, this is my friend Chris and she is my um, bookshelf right now. So. <laughs> Um, I want to, um, Sarah McKenzie, who is a classical homeschooler, she is published through Classical Academic Press, wonderful little book. She is, it's under 100 pages. That's my kind of book when I'm in the thick of homeschooling. But she talks about, um, she talks about the importance of being a student. And when she's talking about taking a class, um, she's just sharing the fact that, that we're shaping the habits of our mind. What a beautiful thing. Learning how to knit from someone that is a better knitter than you are shapes the habit of your mind, which therefore cultivates your soul, right? So Sarah McKenzie, that's my first resource. I'll write it down for you after, I promise. Um, the third is to become a teacher. And some of you might be saying, well, Heatherly, I'm already doing that. Well, that's, I've killed two markers now, guys. <laughs> Become the teacher. This does not mean that you necessarily are going to get up and speak at a conference. This doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to teach a class. But this can be as simple as repeating what you're learning to someone in a way that makes sense to them. I'm going to find my quote here. I lost my quote, but you're going to give me so much grace. It, in Latin, it is um, docendo discimus, by teaching we learn. 
the teacher truly learns something when they are forced to teach it to others. This can be as simple as restating the lesson, the concept, or the fact to others. So if you ever found yourself, you read a book or you listen to a podcast or even you watch a movie or a TV show and you're raving about it to your friend and they're like, what's it about? And you go, duh, <laughs> right? you, that moment. Practicing being able to summarize, being able to share, to pass on what you have just learned, whether it's in your scripture study, whether it's um, the sermon that your pastor gave, whether it's a podcast that you listen to, practice passing on information because you're gonna end up finding your kindred spirits because you're gonna share, in summary, that book that you just read, that podcast you just listened to, that webinar that you just were changed by. And when they say, tell me more, you found your people and you've gone back to number one and you've started to surround yourself with your classical friends. So we're gonna become the teacher. And the fourth, it's gonna sound pretty obvious to some of you, but it's gonna be, to read. Okay, that's fair. So one of the things that happens when we come into the classical circles is people start talking about Plato <laughs> and Aristotle and Cicero. And, and, and those of us that didn't have that type of education go, and I'm telling you right now that if you love reading Socrates and Plato and Plutarch and Caesar, then that is wonderful and what a blessing. And if you're not there yet, it's okay. You've got time. If you need to start a reading life, if you need to cultivate a reading life in yourself, start with reading for 15 minutes a day. Not on your phone. Not, and I love ebooks because I love that I can walk around with my e-reader and I can have 30 books in my pocket at the same time. But for the discipline of sitting down with something on paper, whether it's a book or a magazine or a newspaper. Do you remember those? <laughs> so you sit down and reading and reading the word and starting, if you don't already read on the regular basis, doing it for 15 minutes a day and then building up to a half an hour a day and building in that habit of reading and reading the word. And then what do you do? You're gonna tell someone else about it, right? Tell someone else about what you read. And if you don't have anyone around, you write it down and you tell someone later, right? And you're gonna build that habit and you're gonna read, if you're not reading at all, you're gonna read some. If some of you are like 15 minutes a day, it's just a friend, I'm reading two hours a day. Awesome, that's great. Keep doing it. Keep building it. Um, if you are intimidated by the classics, if you're just not there yet, start by reading children's classics, okay? So you are so good at your job. <laughs> okay, so there is, um, this is a book called A Thomas Jefferson Education. I will write it up here. I will write it all and you can just take a picture, okay? That, that's what we'll do. Um, so uh, in, in a Thomas Jefferson education, he uh, goes through 100 classics to read. Great list. I haven't read many of them, so just, you know, you're good. 
Then he gives classics for children and youth. So if you don't have 15 minutes to read by yourself, read to a young person in your lap or on the couch, right? Just read, build the culture and the habit of reading. He gives a wonderful list. And some of these are fairy tales. Some of these are children's classics that we read. Some of them are newer classics, but this is a wonderful resource. If you're like, I don't know where to go, this is a wonderful, wonderful resource. If you are not interested in reading children's books right now, or you're like, I'm reading the children's books, I want something for my own education, um, this is a book by Susan Wise Bauer. It's basically an annotated book list. So many of you know Susan Wise Bauer because she wrote a treatise on classical education called The Well-Trained Mind, which is how many of us first stepped our toes into the water of classical education. Very transformative book for the modern classical movement. And it lays out curriculum ideas, curriculum choices for every age in every content area. What Susan Weisbauer does in this book is it's subtitled A Guide to the Classical Education You Never Had. And it is books upon books upon books with summaries and subject matter and when it was written. And even if it's a book that's translated because it's a classic, she even tells you the best, most readable editions. It's a wonderful resource. Now, this book is $30. I'm telling you. Ask for it for Christmas, ask Santa Claus to put it under the tree, because this is a wonderful resource. When you just feel stuck and you don't want to read the newest fiction on the Barnes & Noble table, this is good, good stuff. Good, good stuff. Okay. Ooh. Susan Wise Bauer just broke my, my, my stand. Okay. So our first is to surround, our, uh, surround ourselves with community. Our second is to become a student. Our third is to become a teacher. And remember, sometimes that just means sharing a statement. Our fourth is to read. Now, we're reading. We're reading books. We have wonderful things that we've read that we want to share. So we are going to do one of the most classical things that a classical person can do classically. And we are going to commonplace. Now, you have a head start. Because typically, when I tell people that they need to commonplace, I'm, I'm doing, just a preview, I'm doing an entire webinar on commonplacing in a few weeks. So it's free. You can sign up for that. But typically, I have to explain to somebody what a commonplace book is, and then they fret over, oh, where do I buy one, and what if I don't like the design? Well, your, your friend and mine, Scott Postma, gave you one in your bag. It's your, it's your first commonplace book. And what I love about it is in the front, it says Ex Libris from the books of. And it even says date started, date completed, commonplace book number. Because you're going to fill this up pretty quickly, but you're building and getting started. There's two different designs. So, so yours may not look exactly like this. But on the back, he says a commonplace is a pithy maxim, striking quote, or delightful morsel of knowledge that is worth remembering and often held in common throughout the culture. And the verb is to commonplace, okay? So I'm gonna show you my commonplace book and you are not gonna judge me because it looks like the commonplace book of a 12-year-old girl. <laughs> because my commonplace book has stickers. 
and cutouts from Real Simple Magazine. Remember magazines? Those were fun. So it has all sorts of things because this is, look, look at this, I'm 12, it's fine. Um, but what a commonplace book is, um, the reason that started is that having the ridiculous piles of books that we surround ourselves with, that's a very recent thing. Books were luxuries. People didn't have money for them. And so books were precious and they were shared and having a library card, a library membership was such a gift. So according to Stephen Johnson from The Glass Box in The Commonplace Book, scholars, amateur scientists, aspiring men of le letters, just about anyone with intellectual ambition in the 17th and 18th century was likely to keep a commonplace book. In its most customary form, commonplacing, as it was called, involved transcribing interesting or inspirational passages from one's reading, assembling a personalized encyclopedia of quotations. In A Searcy Guide to Reading by our friend Andrew Kern, he says, a commonplace book is where is a crown or garland for the close read. It's where you keep a permanent record in your own hand of your favorite passages. And it's where you return to gather inspiration and wisdom for the journey ahead. It is your own portable Rivendell. <laughs> yeah, all right. That preaches. I'll own that. And Michael Deirda, who is a um, world-renowned uh, literary critic, I guess, um, he wrote a book called Book by Book. And he said in the introduction, much of Book by Book has been gleaned from a small notebook into which I have copied striking quotations and passages from my reading. Such volumes are typically called commonplace books, though their contents tend to be anything but commonplace. So I started this years ago, and in it I have um, quotes from books that I love and books that I hated, but there was one quote I liked. I'm not going to throw that author under the, under the bus because I'm being recorded by Kepler, but if you want to know later, I'll tell you. Um, I often, um, if I go to a workshop, I will transcribe my very messy notes from my bullet journal into my commonplace book because it's something I want to treasure and refer back to. Um, so I don't need to go through all of my bullet journals to find the day that I went to that conference. Everything is in here. If it is a part of my classical journey, if it's something I'm going to want to share with you, I don't need to go to my bookshelf and find 30 books because all of those quotes I want are right here. It is my annotated bibliography. And I have, I have conference notes, and I have um, webinar notes, and because it's, not, it, it's what works for you. Yours may be very strictly quotations. Mine has stickers, lots of stickers, lots and lots of stickers. <laughs> yes? Do you encourage children to do this? My daughter does it. Um, my son does not because he hates writing anything by hand, um, and I'm just grateful that he writes what he does for his schoolwork. But my daughter is, um, well, she's me. <laughs> so she's like, Mom, 
I know what my first quote is going to be. And it's from, um, if you've read Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, it is when Prof Professor Moody turns Draco Malfoy into a ferret and says, um, I, be quiet, I don't want to forget this moment. Draco Malfoy, the amazing bouncing ferret. And that was her first quote in her commonplace book because it just delighted her. It wasn't just the memory of reading it, the words, the way that it was. So sometimes it's gonna be just, you, you found a phrase or you have a collection of words. Yeah. So yes, I do enjoy it for, I do encourage my children to do it. It's a lot of fun. Um, but like I said, most of the time your commonplace book is gonna be your own hand. So sometimes you're gonna have reluctance to doing that and that's okay. You, they'll get there. The next one is controversial. Mm. You gotta start writing in your books. I'm just gonna, I'll, I'll let you sit with that for a minute. Now, we have our time and our place when we can't write in a book, right? We've borrowed a book from a library and you don't wanna play the fine to replace it or you borrow a book from a friend who doesn't appreciate when you annotate their book for them. <laughs> Become friends with people that when you return the book with annotations, they go, ooh, those are the people you wanna be friends with. Okay, so you wanna learn to write in your books. Mortimer Adler, who I both adore and disdain because I'm not a part of the cancel culture. I can both admire someone and go, seriously? At the same time, he says that a well-read book is a well-marked book, right? Um, and so, Mortimer Adler, Mortimer Adler. Um, and so there is, he wrote this book, it is, um, it's, about, it's about this thick, called How to Read a Book. It is, um, well, he later summarized it in a four-page article read that <laughs> has all of the has all of the treasures and all of the the beautiful things that are in it without the verbiage it's fine i love long books sometimes so he says that you want to have a well-marked book and there are ways to learn to do that um forgive me for self-promoting but also I'm gonna be doing a seminar on annotation and how to interact with books, how to do this in a reasonable way for the everyday person that don't have three hours a day to just sit and underline books. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Yes. Um, so if you want to learn a way to annotate, and, and annotate literally means to add notes. We're adding notes. Um, when we're annotating, we're interacting, we're paying attention, we're being deliberate, we're looking for names and places, we're looking for interesting language and literary devices, we're looking for words that we don't know and we're circling them and instead of just skimming through and going, I don't know what that means and just getting the gist, we're circling it and we're coming back and we're actually defining those terms we are highlighting and learning how to mark books so that we can find things later for when we do want to share them with someone else, with our people, right? And we're writing those things that really stand out to us for better or for worse in our commonplace book. 
we're taking note and we're allowing it to become a part of our personal canon. So we're going to annotate. We're going to learn to interact with books. I'm going to read you um, a, a poem by a poet named Billy Collins. Does anyone know Billy Collins? Oh, good. I'm so glad because he's just, well, he's just delightful. Um, Billy Collins wrote a poem called Marginalia. And marginalia are all those little notes that the nerds write in their books. I lost my bookmark, so we're just gonna, you're gonna give me a minute of grace while I find him. Oh, Billy, where are you, honey? My commonplace book has an index because there's no way I would be able to find it. So I have an alphabetical index, page 103, just in case you're curious. Heather, Heather Lee's notebook, mm -hmm. page 103, right across from the sarcastic um, Shakespeare and the boople snoot. Marginalia by Billy Collins. Sometimes the notes are ferocious, skirmishes against the author, raging along the borders of every page in tiny black script. If I could just get my hands on you, Kierkegaard, or Connor Cruz O'Brien, they seem to say, I would bolt the door and beat some logic into your head. <laughs> Other comments are more offhand, dismissive, nonsense, please, ha, that kind of thing. I remember once looking up from my reading, my thumb as a bookmark, trying to imagine what the person must look like who wrote, don't be a ninny alongside a paragraph in the life of Emily Dickinson. <laughs> Students are more modest, needing to leave only their splayed footprints along the shore of the page. One scrawls, metaphor, next to a stanza of Eliot's. Another notes the presence of irony 50 times outside the paragraphs of a modest proposal. Or they are fans who cheer from the empty bleachers, hands cupped around their mouths, Absolutely, they shot to Dunn Scotus and James Baldwin. Yes, bullseye, my man. Check marks, asterisks, and exclamation points rain down along the sidelines. And if you have managed to graduate from college without ever having written man versus nature in a margin, perhaps now is the time to take one step forward. We have all sized the white seized the white perimeter as our own and reached for a pen as if to show that we did not just laze in an armchair turning pages, we pressed a thought into the wayside, planted an impression along the verge. Even Irish monks in their cold scriptoria jotted along the borders of the gospels, brief asides about a the pains of copying, a bird singing near their window, or the sunlight that illuminated their page Anonymous men catching a ride into the future on a vessel more lasting than themselves. And you have not read Joshua Reynolds, they say, until you have read him in wreathed with Blake's fur furious scribbling. Yet the one I think of most often, the one that dangles from me like a locket, was written in a copy of Catcher in the Rye I borrowed from a local library when slow hot summer. I was just beginning high school then, reading books on a Davenport in my parents' living room, and I cannot tell you how vastly my loneliness was deepened, how poignant and amplified the world before me seemed 
when I found on one page a few greasy-looking smears and next to them written in soft pencil by a beautiful girl, I could tell, <laughs> whom I would never meet. Pardon the egg salad stains, but I'm in love. <laughs> What a gift our annotations are. What a gift it is to write, whether it's a silly note or whether it's an exclamation or a heart or an exclamation point. What a gift it is to then hand it to your kindred and have them read it and respond in kind. What? No, yes. Highlighting and underlining with ferocious passion because a well-marked book is a well-loved book. And if you can't mark in your books because of frugality or major trauma, of, <laughs> then just find a notebook and write your notes in your commonplace book, but interact with your books. Yes, there are books that you simply read and you laze on the Davenport and just read them idly, but there's books that become your friends and you're gonna to start to learn the difference. And that's gonna be a huge step forward. Finally, then we're gonna circle back and I'm gonna add more resources. I didn't wanna rush. I usually do this in three hours. You're getting the Cliff Notes version. Um, but finally, the most important thing, in my opinion, even more important than reading, even more important than commonplacing, and that's saying something, even more important than surrounding yourself with classical friends is making space in your life to ponder and wonder and wander. So that's to ponder, to wonder, and to wander. What is the blessing of reading a book if you don't allow yourself time to think about it? How could you possibly become a teacher if you haven't given your space, yourself space to think about it? Go outside and wander around and ask questions about your surroundings and don't Google the answers, right? Give yourself time to sit with questions and let those questions be unanswered. Give yourself a moment to look at a book and circle the word that you don't know in pencil and then say, I don't know what that means. And don't ask Siri. <laughs> Give yourself brain space and time to think about it, to ask someone else that's not an electronic device. Do you know what this word means? <laughs> I think I know what that word means. And then look it up. But give yourself time to ponder and to wonder and to wander. Make space in your life. Because when you have that space and that freedom in your mind and that freedom to not have the answer right now, it's going to open all the rest of this up. It's going to give you freedom to do that. I'm going to give you one last resource then I'm gonna write them on the board and then we have a few minutes for Q&A, okay? So this is, um, this is the first edition. There is a new updated edition. It's called the Classical, or the Liberal Arts Tradition by Clark and Jane.
Clark is Clark and Jane is J-A-I-N. This is through Classical Academic Press. There is an updated version. The best part of this book, in addition to the fact that it's incredibly readable, is that it's almost all footnotes. So for those of us that are like, the nerd is thick with us, you're creating a book list for yourself that you will never complete. And that's not a bad thing, right? Any of you have a chance to look up what that word in Scott's bio means yet? I'm not gonna spoil it for you. Just ponder it, see if you can figure it out. But remember that I said your book list will be large, and that's okay. Um, Mark Hayes, um, who works with Circe Institute, he's worked with Classical Conversations. He says that uh, when I was lamenting one day my, my to-be-read pile, he said, Heatherly, you want to have the bookshelf of the person you want to become. And I was like, Mark, I may never read them. And he's like, that's okay. You want to have the bookshelf of the person you want to become. So that is that. So I'm going to write some of these down. Um, and then I will take some questions because I know that, well, I know most of you in this room and I know you have questions. So um, the first, um, this is uh, the Searcy Guide to Reading. I'm using abbreviations because, because yes. Um, and this is from Searcy. You can get it at, at the Searcy Institute. Uh, it's written by Andrew Kern. Um, it is wonderful. Um, for those of you that, um, that are, especially if you are teaching in classical schools or you are giving your kids a classical education at home, whether you're homeschooling or whether you are after, like classically after schooling them, this is a wonderful resource. It's also a great resource for you to learn how to interact with books on a new level. Um, I just said the liberal arts tradition, which I know Scott Postma has also already done today. There, like I said, there's a second edition, which is wonderful. I just, it's hardcover. I just brought that one. And that one is through Classical Academic Press. That's Clark and Jane. We have um, The Well-Educated Mind. And this is by Susan Wise Bauer. And again, this is the grown-up version. We have the well-trained mind. We have the well-trained mind for our children, and then we have the well-educated mind for those of us that need to fill in some gaps. Um, we have a Thomas Jefferson education. This is by Oliver DeMille. DeMille, and. Teaching from Rest. And this is by Sarah McKenzie. I want to make sure I McKenzie that correctly because she's a Mac, not a Mick. McKenzie. Okay. Those are some of the best resources. Now, if you need more books, if you're like, but Heatherly, I've read all those books. Okay, let's be friends. <laughs> I will, I will find you more books. I will take pictures of my bookshelves and I will, I will give you more resources. Okay, so just in summary, we're not doing all of these things at once. We are, we are picking the one that is gonna take us in the right direction, 
right? What's the, the easy plus one? So Andrew Pudua from the Institute for Excellence in Writing, when we're teaching our children, he says, you do what's easy and then you add one thing. You're not trying to do all the things. You take one and you add one thing. And that's what I want you to do. If you look at this and you're like, I have classical friends. Awesome, that's easy for you then. Let's find your plus one. If you're like, I'm already teaching, I'm already reading. Okay, what's your plus one? What's gonna be the thing that's going to challenge you and bring you to that next level in your classical life? Thank you for your time. Thank you for responding at all the right moments.